We put a bow on the transit discussion today because on Thursday we spoke to several mayoral candidates about transit, and today Glenn Murray joined us to wrap up that conversation. We had a great chat with an author of a book called Straggle, Adventures in Walking While Female. Because I was curious to know, as kind of a big guy, is there anything I should be doing differently when I'm out for a walk and I'm approaching a woman? We spoke to a Winnipegger who has recreated the old barn, the Winnipeg Arena, out of Lego. And we were curious to know about the places where you unexpectedly made a friend. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Loren's in on Connecting Winnipeg this week, by the way, but she's back on the start next week. And this is the Friday, October 7th, heading into the long weekend podcast for the start. It is Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is on Connecting Winnipeg, and I must, must open by falling on the sword. It's happened at least once since we've been doing this show together, Greg Mackling. Yes, and I think just one other time. Yeah, I've definitely, and I think before that it happened once when I was filling in for Jeff Braun on the news. Uh, I I slept in. (laughs) I just got here like five minutes ago, and uh, you're essentially two hours late. Yeah. I mean, hey, shorter workday. <laughs> but I'm just glad you're all right. Because here's the question, and I want to get the explanation here. It doesn't really matter. I'm just glad you're okay. Yeah. But from our listeners, like at what point do you push the panic button? Because I first my calls were, I think, probably every 10 minutes. Then they went every five minutes. And then finally we got to, which did we decide was the most serious? DEFCON? DEFCON 1? DEFCON 1. That's that's the cocked pistol. Yeah, well, I was phoning every other minute because I was sincerely worried about your safety. But usually you let me know that you're on on your way. So I wasn't concerned that you were somewhere between Osborne Village and downtown. Yeah. So I was fairly confident in that. Mm -hmm. But uh, outside of, uh, of that notion... I, I was concerned about your health and safety, so I guess, like, at what point do you call 911? At what point do you call the building manager? At what point do you call the boss and say, Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb is about to be just Mackling? Like, <laughs> like, like, we, we're on the verge of disaster. President Biden was talking about Armageddon yesterday. That would have been radio Armageddon, me flying solo on this program for five minutes. Or four hours. Oh, boy. So, anyway, I owe both you boys lunch uh, because I I feel terrible right now. I, uh, I And I I don't know how this ha- – like, I have so many alarms that go off in the morning. My alarm clock goes off twice, and then my phone goes off every 10 minutes starting at 3.20. So, either I just slept through all of it or – Somehow just decided to turn it all off while I was sleeping, and it was finally a phone call. At, I think what, what were my first words to you? Oh, my God, it's 534. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and, and I just said, well, I'm glad you're all right. And then just yeah. went back to work and tried to do what I could do to, to craft a program without, uh, without you here. Yeah. So we shall soldier on. But, yeah, at what point do you pull the trigger on that, on that call to – to somebody else, I, I'd be curious. Like as a parent, like I'm in the like I'm in the ninety minute 
Yeah. 90 minute to two hours. Yeah, 90 minute is probably when I'm getting in my car and they're on their bikes and they're saying that they're on their way home and they're not home and they continue to not be home or not answer their phone, then I'm probably out looking for them after about 90 minutes. Okay. Yeah, that's a that's a great point um, because I would imagine with me in particular, it's likely more predictable that I've, I'm the one who slept in because I've done it now twice on this show and I've done it before on this shift and, and you've never slept in like this late. Not this late, but I did once. I did once about an hour. I think Kelly Moore called me to wonder where I was. Oh yeah? I had, uh, I had accidentally turned off an alarm or forgot to set it. And so it was a little bit late. But I think you and Loren were both here, so it wasn't wasn't nearly as panicked a situation. But ah, it's all good. It's Friday, is. some levity, some concern, blood pressure rising. It's all fine. So, um, since I just got here, what do you want to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> well, Brett, today we're going to talk about Hockey Canada and the uh, mess they've got themselves into. And now it's starting to cost money. And I think... Uh, many would uh, realize or or believe that that's the reason why they're taking some action and they are going to uh, likely be making some serious changes. Uh, once the sponsors started falling off, it was sort of predictable that they would uh, begin panicking and now the organization is uh, more important than the individuals within it. We'll talk about that. Uh, Glenn Murray will join us to talk transit. We had seven of the eight top candidates yesterday Glenn Murray was on with Loren McNabb, but they didn't get around to speaking about transit. So we have offered a time slot, 8.37. I'm going to put it this way, Brett. Glenn Murray is scheduled to join us at 8.37. And we'll just leave it there. (laughs) I would like to expand on that, but I think Greg made the point and that's good enough. We also have lots of stuff to give away today. We have tickets for the Tenors coming to Club Regent Event Center December 13th. We're going to give those tickets away at some point this hour. We have tickets to give away to see John Mullaney coming to Winnipeg next week on October 12th. We'll do that next hour after the Couch Potatoes Assemble. We have a family four-pack of Boo at the Zoo passes. We'll do that just before 9 o'clock. And we have tickets to see the Blue Bombers tomorrow at IG Field at 9.15. We'll tell you how you can win those tickets at uh, 6.45. But we are indeed going to speak to the voice of the Blue Bombers at 8.05. That's right. Derek Taylor will join us. And last night, I guess it was late afternoon, Paul Friesen in the Winnipeg Sun breaking a story that the Winnipeg Blue Bombers were... Days, minutes, we're not exactly sure. Hours from reacquiring all-star receiver Kenny Lawler. But Lawler got injured in the Elks' last game and so is out for the season. In fact, he had surgery earlier this week. We'll find out from Derek Taylor. Why were the Blue Bombers looking to get Kenny Lawler? I'm sort of speechless right now when mm-hmm. you said that name. Like, oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah. Lawler uh, signed with Edmonton for $300,000 a year. Uh, that, that contract expires uh, this season. Uh, Edmonton, obviously, uh, maybe looking for some assets for for a player that is would be very uh, 
welcome, let's just say, in uh, any lineup, in particular a team looking for a three-peat. The concern I have, Brett, and we'll ask Derek about this, does this mean the injury to Greg Ellingson, the receiver the Bomber signed to essentially replace Lawler? Is his injury more serious than we had first believed it to be? Hockey Manitoba says it, quote, supports the call by members of parliament for a change in Hockey Canada's leadership. Here's Global News anchor Lisa Dutton with more. Hockey Manitoba is supporting the call from MPs for a change in Hockey Canada's leadership. The local board of directors also agrees with calls for a review of the Hockey Canada's action plan. They want the plan to include consultation from experts working in education, along with awareness and prevention of sexual violence, abuse and bullying. Hockey Manitoba said it will not be commenting any further about the ongoing situation. Now, this comes as other hockey organizations in Ontario and Quebec have cut financial ties over Hockey Canada's handling of the investigation into an alleged sexual assault in 2018. TELUS, Tim Hortons, Canadian Tire, Sobeys, they've all cut ties with Hockey Canada for this upcoming season. This comes after members of Parliament repeatedly pressed Hockey Canada officials for answers during a heated meeting on Tuesday after the organization's handling of sexual assault. And of course, changes are only going to come once the money stops flowing, Brett. Hockey Canada has over the years become a financial juggernaut. The World Junior Hockey Championships are held every year Every other year in Canada, because of the unparalleled support the tournament receives in this country, not only from the ticket-buying public, also the millions who watch on television. And this success at the box office and on television has led to partnerships with some of the largest corporations in our country, corporations who see a relationship with Canada's national winter sport as a spark business move. This is an organization that gets $62 million in revenue from sponsors, 27% of that, roughly $17 million. And if you take all of that away, you have an organization that's not viable. Add to this that the government contributes directly $5.5 million. That has been suspended. And then because of some COVID payments last year, they got another $2.5 million. That's going away. This is an organization that's just not viable. Marvin G. Ryder is a business professor at McMaster University. The revelation of poor decision-making and governance at Hockey Canada is only coming to light because of the organization's handling of more serious issues around allegations of sexual assault and misconduct. In other words, Hockey Canada is in a real mess right now. Sure is. Business professor Ryder joined Arlene Bynan on point on AM640 in Toronto last night. What will it take to win back the trust of Canadians? Clearly, I think what they've got to do is, if, in essence, blow up this organization and then simultaneously create a new organization with totally new leadership and then slowly begin to rebuild bridges. Arlene, there's an old saying that it takes a lifetime to build trust and it takes a moment to destroy it. And that's what you've got here. And how long will it take to rebuild these relationships with sponsors? Even if a new organization was created tonight, we'll call it Canada Hockey rather than Hockey Canada, I don't think you can rebuild the trust just overnight. And these sponsors are going to be gone for some period of time until you demonstrate just how seriously you're taking these allegations. Uh, the next word is yours, 204-780-6868. What should happen next? We want to know from you. Hockey Manitoba, Hockey Canada, these sponsors, have they done the right thing at least finally? We talk about often 
the politicians you'd most like to have a beer with or a glass of wine or share a round of golf with or just sit down and have a cup of coffee and have a chat. And uh, the perception would be that you would enjoy interacting with that politician. Now, that doesn't always translate into the polls because sometimes likability doesn't translate to electability. But... We want to take that and 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 harp on the likability part of that equation. So we're going to ask you right now, in terms of likability, where is a place that you unexpectedly made a friend? You can text us at 204-780-6868. We've got tickets to give away to see the Winnipeg Blue Bombers tomorrow at IG Field versus Edmonton. And why don't we start with producer Jeff Fortier and Master Control. Hi there. Hi. Now, I don't know if it's a really weird place, but it kind of is. It's at a concert. And it's hard to make friends near at a concert because you can't hear anything besides what's going on on stage. But uh, I was at an Avenged Sevenfold concert and that's these guys right here. They're at so what's the band? Avenged Sevenfold. Ah, yes. Okay, okay. Yeah, and uh, just being this guy there, we start rocking out. And you know you become friends when you're each buying each other $10 beers. <laughs> That's when you know you're friends. <laughs> when not was, wrong. When was this show? Oh, this was years ago. I've seen them a few times. They've, uh, this back when it was the MTS Center. I can't remember. There's a, there's a whole, like, kind of festival they had in there, um... I went with my brothers years ago. I can't remember what year. Maybe okay. 2010, 2011. I, 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 you know what? Speaking of concerts and making friends, we, we didn't exactly become friends, but I had a, I'll just say I had a shared moment with a guy at when Bush came to Winnipeg and played the old barn. Veruca Salt opened for Bush back in, I don't know, 1997, I guess. And uh, I was standing, I was on the floor. We had floor seats and I was standing just behind the, the pit the mosh pit, and I was standing beside this, this the guy was as big, as tall as me, but he was a bigger, burlier guy, bald, shaved head, beard. He looked like a biker kind of dude. Uh, so some kid decided, I, I don't know how old this kid, this kid was, but he decided to use the both of us as a propulsion system to try to jump into the mosh pit. He came running up behind us, so I'm standing on the left, biker guys on the right, and he put his hands on our shoulders to try to launch himself <laughs> and he he failed all he did was all he managed to do was knock us both over and both of us simultaneously went to grab this person and punch him. And when I saw how angry biker guy was, and then when we realized how young this kid was, we we both stopped. We came, but yeah, we both had this moment like, all right, we almost beat somebody up. Let's just carry on. <laughs> Commiseration <laughs> over attempted violence. I love it. Uh, Poitras, welcome back, sir. Uh, what about you? Oh, God, I'm way too old for mosh pits. I think I was always too old for them, but uh, uh, my first radio job, you know, first time leaving home, driving up to Dauphin, worked up there for uh, not too long, but long enough to make some uh, lifelong friends up there. My buddy Chris and my buddy Cody, you know, Chris was in my wedding party. You know, Cody made the made the trip from Regina to come to my wedding. A guy I've, uh, I would consider one of my one of my good friends. And, you know, heading up there at 19, as you get older, I find it's a lot harder to make, you know, really, really good lasting friends. And so I, I would say that those two were the guys that have like I, I will always be be friends with and always, uh, you know, cherish, you know, the friendship. But, you know, 19, 18, 19 years old going up to Dauphin, I, I didn't I didn't think I'd be making really, really good friends up there. But, uh, yeah, no, it was it was great. 
Well, that's cool to hear that uh, you were able to forge those bonds. Jeff Braun, what about you, sir? Uh, for me, I guess it would be, it was the first day that I went to Red River College, and it was registration day, and the lineup was insane. It, I think we sat in line for about five hours just waiting to register. They're doing everybody one at a time, and it took forever. And I was just the guy beside me in line. We just started talking, and we were there for hours and hours and hours all day, and I guess we probably ended up telling each other's life stories. And, uh, you know, we had a lot of things in common, movies and stuff like that we could chat about. So by the end of the day, I was like, oh, first day of school, and I already made a friend. This is pretty awesome. And then I just never talked to that guy again the rest of the year. (laughs) (laughs) I knew that had to take a dark turn at some point. (laughs) And I'd see him in the hall, and I was like, Weren't that guy and me friends on day one? What How did it blow that so quickly? Uh, Greg, what about you? Well, I guess it goes back to late summer of 2008. Uh, I was uh, in the bus building world, and uh, my phone rang on a beautiful summer afternoon. I was moving from one building to another. I was outside. My phone rang. And this was back when you could comfortably answer your phone from unknown numbers. Not worry that it was going to be somebody trying to scam you out of your life savings or your mortgage or something. And on the other end of the phone was this very familiar voice, someone I'd never met before, telling me that I was one of the finalists in the Talk Idol competition that was coming up on 680 CJOB. And my first words to this individual were... I'm speechless. Not exactly the things you want to say when you want to work in radio for a living. Well, here we are, 14 years, almost to the day later, and I get to work with one of my best friends, the guy who called me to tell me, we're going to let you into this competition, and here we are, and we're like brothers 14 years later. Never, ever would I have predicted that. Greg Mackling, the reigning talk idol on 680 CJOB, holding the championship belt for 14 years now. 14 years? Unchallenged, though. <laughs> I don't know if that's he good was left or not. speechless. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we do want to ask you about something you're grateful for this year. But before that, we were also asking you about likability in politics. And what? And I see we have a bit of a soliloquy here from one of our listeners. Yeah, Kristen, why don't you read that out, uh, Brett, because uh, you do a great job of reading Kristen's text. A likable politician is nice and all, but it isn't the most important. The two beers and a puppy test helped me... Re- <laughs> two beers and a puppy? The two beers and a puppy test helped me remove many candidates for my roster. Here is the test for anyone not familiar. In order to find out how you actually feel about someone, ask yourself, would you have two beers with this person? Would you allow this person to look after your puppy over a weekend? Some people are no and no. These people are to be avoided at all costs. Some people are yes and no. These people are to be cautiously trusted. Some people are no and yes These people are no fun, but they make the world a better place for puppies, especially. And some people are yes and yes. These people are wonderful people, and your life and work are better for having them in your life. Seek them out, collaborate with them, enjoy their company. And I think Kristen makes a really, really good point here. I I think kids and animals know who the good people are. And I'm not joking. It sounds a little funny. But if your kid doesn't like your new friend, that's a red flag in my books. 
And um, I think the dogs, no in particular. Cats just gravitate to uh, the people who either don't like cats or are allergic to them. <laughs> they gravitate towards those who are allergic to them? Yes. Oh, 100%. That's, that's fair uh, because actually um, uh, in my well, – I had a, fr- a friend – who had cats and two cats. One of them was very friendly. The other one was not friendly, but she liked me, and I always wore that with a badge of honor. And dogs, I'll be walking down the street, full resting Brett face on, and dogs still will, like, they'll walk past and they'll kind of give me a look, and some will actually, like, try to say hello. So uh, I... They know, man. They They know. know. I I firmly believe that... Dogs, in particular, have that sixth sense, and and kids really know. Uh, the first time I met my now goddaughter, didn't go well. She screamed and yelled. She didn't want anything to do with me. Now she adores me. Sixteen, seventeen years later, but it was a rough start. That's a good point too. Yeah, kids, because I've never understood that because kids get along with me, in spite of the fact that I I am I feel like I'm horrible with kids. I, like I walk in like, hey. Hey man, how you doing? Like I don't know how to talk to kids. I don't know how to behave around kids, but they, I think they like that because I don't, I don't, I, I never do the. Oh hi, how are you? I just, I just talk to them like they're people. Yeah, kids it, dig that. Yeah. So okay, you're onto something there. So two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. If you want to weigh in on the likability factor with politicians, and you can also let us know at two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight with Thanksgiving. Approaching just around the corner. What are you grateful for in 2022? And I jokingly put a note on our schedule here for Greg. I said, what am I grateful for in 2022? That it's almost over. Uh, I didn't, you know, not to to put an instant negative stamp on it, but (laughs) I I will admit I'm kind of, that's something I'm moderately grateful for. Still three months to go. Come on. Just saying, lots can happen. I know. To, to flip the script or to reinforce your take on 2022, I'm hoping it's the former, not the latter. What are you grateful for in 2022? Uh, you know, I don't know. I guess it's just been getting back to work, trying to get back to that sense of normalcy. Uh, it, for me, it always comes back to my kids, and I apologize for that. Uh, but my kids being able to get back to their sports and to get back to the things that they love. And the th- you know the distractions, the things outside of school, the things outside of life that 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 build character and um, and reveal character. And so yeah, that's probably the thing I'm most grateful for is my my kids getting getting their activities back, in spite of the fact that it's adding miles to my car, <laughs> taking money out of my bank account, and de- <laughs> and depriving me of sleep. Other than that, I'm thrilled about it. <laughs> We're asking you about places where you unexpectedly made friends. What does Luke have to say? I was sandbagging in 2011 in preparation for some flooding when I met this very beautiful lady who is now not only my best friend, but also my wife. Ah, right on. That is terrific. I get that a lot from people, by the way. You should go do this, Brett. You might meet your wife there. Mm -hmm. Or you should join this class, Brett. You might meet your wife there. There's some validity to those suggestions. I know. I know. But I I, I appreciate the sentiment. But I always feel like I have to defend myself for being a single person. You don't. You don't. I'm okay. I kind of like being alone. Like I know there was a time where I was not happy being alone. And now I am happy. 
Because now I can, when people say, hey, you want to go golfing tomorrow? I, I stop and think, okay, I got no one to answer to. I have no responsibilities, no kids, no pet. Yep. You're okay with that? <laughs> yep. Okay. I, I, you know, Sandy just sent us a text for what she's thankful for. This is love. This is gratefulness in the strangest and most wonderful place. Sandy starts her text with, I'm grateful for my husband getting kidney stones. I was wondering, where is this going? Yeah. If it wasn't for the stones, they wouldn't have found the kidney cancer. Oh, wow. He has one less kidney, but he's still with us, sharing his silly sense of humor, which after 25 years still makes me laugh. Wow. That's perspective. Thank you for sharing that. Sometimes you need those... That's kind of a gut punch, but in a good way. So we appreciate it. Their next guest has gone above and beyond in an effort to recapture the memories of April 28th, 1996. A day a Winnipeg hockey team played its final game in an arena which no longer stands. And he did it. In the form of Lego. Scott Templeton, Legos by Scott on Instagram, has blown this longtime Jets fan away with the detail in his Lego creation and many others. Scott, good morning. Thanks for taking some time with us. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, you have managed to do something in Lego I have absolutely dreamt of since I was a kid, and I know you have been building arenas of a rudimentary form for a long time yourself. You just absolutely knocked this out of the park, Scott. I mean, this depiction of the arena is simply fantastic. And to capture what is one of the most emotional, emotional days of my life, and I know I'm not alone in that, is something special. Can you just give us a little bit of a talking tour of this masterpiece, complete with the leaning rails in the upper deck and a portrait of the queen? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, essentially, the way I describe it is it is a snapshot of the warm-up on that final game in 96. So essentially, if you were to kind of just cut the arena in half, put your head in there and see what was happening in Lego form, this is what would be going on. So the uh, Jets are taking the ice for a warm-up. The stands are getting fuller as we speak. Everybody's got their whiteout attire on. Um, the Queen's hanging in the rafters as well. And, um, yeah, there's just lots of uh, sad but also lots of positive vibes going on as uh, Winnipeg Jets fans want to celebrate. Where are you displaying this piece of art? Um, so that's kind of funny. I mean, at the moment it is on display in my basement, but, um, you <laughs> we'll know, be over after the show. <laughs> it's the kind of thing where, you know, I've, I've had it kind of built now for a couple months. It's been on display to the public. Uh, it was on display, I think last weekend at the Manitoba train show. Uh, it was on display this summer at a convention in uh, Moose Jaw. So it's just kind of working its way around. Uh, I'm a part of a, a Lego group here in Manitoba, the Manitoba Lego, Lego Users Group. And any time that we are doing an event, I try to uh, bring it along. But as far as like a long-term display, uh, at this point, there's nothing in uh, nothing in the works, but uh, just Instagram photos for now. <laughs> well, you know, I'm looking at more photos of this, and you've got the gray uh, beams that that went right across the arena. You've got them nailed down perfect. The lights that used to hang above the ice, the press box. Like, I mean, 
the detail you've managed to achieve, because obviously to do it to scale would be impossible, but it feels to scale based on how you've done it. It, it, It's quite impressive, Scott. So where did this passion for Lego start and and what other sort of uh, amazing, amazing uh, pieces of art have you built over the years? Sure. I mean, I, uh, like most kids, I grew up building Lego, absolutely loved it. Um, it was, you know, I played hockey as I was a kid, so I always built like hockey arenas when I was younger, but nothing to this scale. Um, in fact, I used to take a, a marker and draw on the bricks just to try and get those extra details. But um, as I got older, I did actually kind of get out of Lego. And then um, I think it was when the Lego movie came out, you know, years ago now. Um, I really got reignited and reunited with the uh, with, with the hobby again. And I always knew I wanted to go back and build another arena. And I kind of went back and forth. Do I do the, you know, the new arena, the current one, or do I do the old one? And ultimately, I chose the old one just because, you know, I'm too young to have ever actually been to a Jets game there. And uh, I thought, you know what, this one has a lot of history. There's just so many odd stories and memories from that arena you know, I'm from St. James, so, you know, that building is from my area. So I thought, you know what, let's go with the old arena. And I'll be honest, you know, being that the old arena is, uh, you know, has less architectural flair than the new arena, uh, it's actually it was a lot easier to build in the form of Lego bricks. <laughs> well, that's that's interesting you say that because it has these interesting nuances. I'm looking at the uh, the corner, right? The corners were sort of interesting, and the great big steel pillars, as I mentioned, that that held the arena up like right till its last minute, right? Because when they tried to implode it, it, it wouldn't go down. They had to pull on one of those. Like you've really nailed it. And for someone who never went to a Jets game in that era, I got to pat you on the back real quick here. I know this took you. Four 40 hours, 20,000 bricks, 20,000 bricks. <laughs> My colleague Tyson Ruwicki says, at what point are you tearing this thing down and using the pieces for something else? <laughs> um, well, then uh, Tyson definitely understands us Lego people. So, I mean, at this point, I don't have any plans, but you know what? I'm sure within the next year or two, there will be something that I need, you know, a couple thousand bricks for, and, um, you know, it'll be its time. And, uh, Maybe I'll have to do a kind of a cool send-off like we did with the old arena, (laughs) but we'll see. But at this point, there's no plans, but I'm sure it'll happen one day. Scott Templeton, Legos by Scott on Instagram. If you want to see more, it's it, it's it's like it's awesome, and that is not hyperbole, not an exaggeration. I was just looking at it, and I was kind of glad that uh, Greg was carrying this because I was just sifting through the feed, like, ooh, that's neat. Oh, he's got a Thanos glove in here as well. So lots of fun stuff on this page. Scott, thank you for this. Thanks for your creativity. This is fantastic. Thanks a lot, guys. Go Jets, go. Tomorrow at IG Field, they're hosting the Edmonton Elks, and one player who won't be in the lineup for either team is all-star receiver Kenny Lawler. Yeah, Paul Friesen of the Winnipeg Sun, among others, reporting that the Blue Bombers were closing in on a deal to bring Lawler back to Winnipeg ahead of this past Wednesday's CFL trade deadline. First of all, that, to me, speaks to the Blue Bombers' unwavering determination to always get better, but DT... It also has me wondering if the injury to Greg Ellingson is more serious than many had hoped. Derek Taylor is the voice of the Blue Bombers and joins us now on CJOB. What do you make of this? 
I, I'm with you on the always improving. I, I think it's a, an intriguing move, and it's it's a guy they know very well, right? Lawler had a couple of years here and really had his breakout year here last year. I think there was there was absolutely a way it, it could have been done uh, to incorporate Ellingson. Uh, Ellingson is on what? He's done five games on the six-game injured list, and we've seen him do more action this week than we have since he first hurt his hip. So the thought of, Ooh, Ellingson in there, and then you take uh, you take uh, Kenny Lawler and plop him in potentially for a Drew Wolitarski. Maybe would be a swap they could make could have made pretty easily. So interesting that they went to chase it. I'm curious what the price would have been, and then uh, yeah, just exactly how far down the road they they actually did get. So the Bombers did make a trade this week, reacquiring defensive back Alden Darby from Hamilton. Is that a good or essential move? When you hear O'Shea talk about it, it sounds like it was an essential move because he referenced the, not just once but twice this week with how thin we've been getting were the were the words he would use something to to that effect. We we've gotten pretty thin back there, and there you go with with injuries and you know just piling up over the course of the season, both at linebacker and at defensive back. It sounded like it was it was one out of necessity. Uh, that side of the field, there's you know this, the wide side of the field has been. Evan Holm and Jamal Parker and Donald Rutledge. And you think, well, the guy like Alden Darby, who's played halfback, he's played cornerback, he's played that that dime defensive back spot. He could play kind of any one of those. Now, we don't know exactly what their plans are for Darby, but you now have a guy who knows your system, who's been around, who's won a great cup with you, who's probably, you know, here on day four, already up to speed on what you guys are doing this season. To have a guy who has the potential to back you up in, in any of those spots, I think was uh, was a real get for them. A, a player that Hamilton didn't really want this season. Uh, you went, oh, really? Okay, well, uh, why don't we take him back and just just be sure that we're going to have some depth as the playoffs approach. Well, D. Alford is not coming back to Winnipeg from Atlanta anytime yep. soon. He's uh, doing fantastic things. So uh, any dreams of that uh, have long disappeared. So uh, getting Darby back, I think, is a good move for the reasons you outlined there. Uh, Derek, Nick Dembski and Zach Caleros named two of the performers of the month by the Canadian Football League. And I know we'll talk about this quite a bit tomorrow. We always talk about these guys. But in concert, this unit that they've become, yeah, Dalton Schoen has done some incredible things in his rookie season, but there is clearly a chemistry and and a, and a connection between uh, Dembski and Caleros that seems to be strengthening, if that's at all possible, Derek. Oh, it's it's incredible, right? He uh, Dembski gets the award for the player of the month, one of the players of the month, for sick, having six touchdowns in the month of September. The most he's ever had in a full season was four touchdowns. And you go, wow, that's actually really quite impressive. Uh, whether it's Dembski's this unique player in the Canadian Football League. And you don't just say that because he's a bomber, but because it's, it's absolutely true. Like he, he runs the ball from the running back position, he runs the ball from a receiver position. He has three quarters of the passes they throw him are within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. And then at the same time, he has almost as many 50-plus yard catch and runs as any player in the CFL. He's among the five tops in that during you know the course of his bomber tenure. And you go, so short receptions, long receptions, runs from here, runs from there. There's really nobody else in the league that that has that done. Uh, you know, with his skills and the offense that, that he's in, uh, they've really been able to harness just everything he can. Dempsey's, you know, he's not tall, but he's a big 
dude. And, oh, man, when you watched him just pull away from defensive backs last week for his two scores against Saskatchewan, you went, oh, yeah, he's fast, too. And, you know, everybody talks about how smart he is. And Kolaris will say, there's no one better that I've played with at tracking that that deep ball, the one that's coming right over top of his head. Wow, that's that's really nice. I mean, his his stuff this season has been more of the in rhythm stuff as opposed to Shown, who obviously has the in rhythm stuff, but has been you know just an absolute Viking when it comes to plays that have broken down. And Zach is running out of the pocket. Shown has I think as many yards receiving on those kind of plays as the next two receivers in the Canadian Football League. But both guys just just essential to a thirteen and two record. Issues that affect our family, our safety, daily commutes. Hey, these things are going to be decided by who we elect on October 26th. So every Tuesday and Thursday on 680 CJOB, we're going to be talking about key election topics that matter to you. And in this case, on Friday, and we're inviting all the front-running mayoral candidates onto our shows to respond. Yeah, so you, throughout the day yesterday, we heard what the candidates asking for your vote plan to do to tackle our city's biggest issues, and yesterday that topic was transit. Mayoral candidate Glenn Murray joins us now. Uh, Glenn, thanks for, uh, for joining us on this Friday to talk about this. In your opinion, what is the number one thing we need to do when it comes to improving transit in our city? Well, Greg, it's uh, getting our buses running more efficiently and quickly, so reducing our head time. I'm the only mayoralty candidate who has a comprehensive plan that will mean that on all 13 major routes, you won't wait more than five minutes on average for a bus. And what that the big thing that that means is that Winnipegers will be able to tear up those bus schedules and park their uh, their, their mobile apps because you, you'll know when you go to a bus stop, you won't be waiting more than about five minutes for a bus. And then the electrification of the entire system. I've been working with Paul Subri and the folks at uh, New Fire. They think that we can electrify the entire system within about eight years. Uh, that's the other big thing. And then getting rapid transit, especially on things like the Kennison Corridor, where we have real congestion, we, we, we need to do, we need to widen and fix Kennison, but we also need to have rapid transit alternatives to get people out of their cars and free up space on our roads. So Glenn, are you tearing up the transit master plan? Are you enhancing it? Where, do, where does your plan fit in, in relation to, or compared to that master plan? It, it is uh, built on the master plan. I met with Functional Transit and folks at Transit. I had um, the Amalgamated Transit Union at the announcement for this, as well as uh, a major interview that was done with Paul Subri on the technology improvement. So we are building off the, the uh, Master Transit Plan. We're looking at some modifications. But the big difference is, is that what we haven't been doing, what, in Chicago right now, Britain Greg, they are they're building a new transit line. And you know, it's going to generate several hundred million dollars in revenue for the city. And we always think about these things as cost. Why? Because they're using a, a value uplift calculation. So when they put a rapid transit line in, you get more density, you get greater property values, you build the tax base. So what I want to do is, is design our transit line so that they build the tax base, so that we, we zone and we upzone in the area, so that we get more density and we get tax base growth, so that the transit line causes development, which grows our tax base, which increases our revenue, which helps pay for the transit line. And that's being done in 
all across. Uh, it's being done in Toronto. It's being done in Chicago. We need to bring that kind of smart financial planning to reduce our costs uh, and, ta- and reduce the tax burden. We need to build the tax base and reduce the tax burden. And Glenn, that's good. I like that the idea of increasing the frequency on the main routes. But we heard from a lot of listeners yesterday who need to take sort of like a feeder bus to get to those main routes, and those feeder buses are often few and far between. So, what what about those uh, sort of lesser used routes? Well, you guys know I was the transportation minister and the research and innovation minister, and right now I am uh, I now own with a couple of friends a software company, and the whole software space of self-guided compact electric vehicles you can run short shuttles which can be on call you can literally take an app and call up a shuttle to, uh, to that so we need to introduce sort of the integration of the online world the the, the smart technology the stuff we have on our phone with the on-ground world and there's huge breakthroughs coming in this area so the way that we would service low-density sub- suburbs may will likely be it w- within 10 years with with much more modern electronic, uh, smart and autonomous vehicles, uh, and in the interim, probably driver vehicles uh, that can work in low density areas, uh, be response based, uh, and actually help people like who, people who need handy transit and things like that. So, you know, we, 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 I really want to lead Winnipeg into 21st century thinking. We've been using 50 year old technologies. It's time to use, start using these, this century's technology. Uh, the name of that company, uh, Glenn? Which company? The one that you're, that the, did, did I hear you oh, say that you co-owned? It's a cool little company called Creative Applications for Sustainable Technology. Um, and I work, we work in the economic modeling areas. We look at, at how do you design infrastructure to build the tax base as opposed to infrastructure that builds the tax burden. But I work with a host of companies. I have friends that are working in this area. The, the company I'm talking about is the one that does that technology is based in France. And it's running, it, it's running its uh, pilot technologies right now in Paris. Okay, good. I was just making sure we weren't stepping into a whole conflict of interest uh, conversation. Oh, no, 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 <laughs> okay, no, perfect. No, I, I, uh, no I, I am, I'm someone who lives very much in the middle of the law. I think if you're going to make laws, uh, you have a higher standard. You can't live on the edge of the law. You got to live in the middle of the law. You know, so perfect. No. So uh, we had a, a, our question of the day yesterday. Talked about and gave options with regard to priority for for our listeners with regard to transit. And far and away, the majority with five choices said that safety was number one. What what does your plan do to address safety on Winnipeg Transit? Well. I, 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 on my website, Glenn Four Number Four WPG there is, I think, the only candidate who has a really dedicated safety plan. And we we talk about um, allowing drivers to call nine one one. You know that our, our transit drivers right now, if there's someone on the bus, they with a weapon or something, they can't call nine one one. We're talking about assignment of. Uh, police officers on the streets who wouldn't be on the buses, but in every corridor, which is what we used to have, they're on call. Uh, we were talking about um, redesigning our buses uh, so that they are safer and easier to access um, and that we have an immediate emergency response system, that we get the radios up. The radios aren't, aren't on time. And that we, we, we extend the shelter program that every single uh, time you get on and off the bus, there's a uh, press alarm there. The, 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 in the exchange district where I've been on the biz for a while, we actually have a program where we uh, have people who go out in the morning before 8 o'clock with a cup of coffee, wake people in the bus shelters, 
and then um, help them get on the way, and then we clean them up. So unlike most of the city, if you come to the Exchange District, the bus shelters during, during the day are really clean. Um, so those are some of the things that we're, we, we're doing. But I, th- I think that if you have violence on a bus, you need to have police officers that are in the area that are dedicated to respond to the bus. And you need to have, which is insane right now, that a bus driver, if someone's on the bus, has to press a button that goes to the command center. What I'm saying is, we, and they're actually reprimanded. Drivers are suspended for calling 911. There's no better fast response to deal with problems on a bus than a police officer. If you're dealing with violent crime or someone with a weapon, you need to have a police officer. There's no one else that should do that. And the quickest way to get a police officer is have them assigned to monitor buses en route and have the bus driver be able to call 911 and get a, get a police officer there right away. Glenn Murray, thank you very much for the time. We are out of time, unfortunately, but we appreciate you joining us today. Thank you. Well, I, I loved it. A big safety announcement this afternoon, so I'll, I'll look forward to hopefully talk to you later. Thanks, guys. Who are we about to speak to here? Not only does this individual anchor Global News Morning, weekday mornings from 6 a.m. till 9 a.m. on CKND Television, Channel 9, Cable 12. She is the in-stadium host at Winnipeg Blue Bomber Home Games at IG Field. Her face, her spirit, her voice shines down on IG Field every Blue Bomber Home Game. She's graced us with her presence on our program Every Friday morning for, I'm not exactly sure how long now. Well, I haven't done the math. Long. Probably so long for some of your listeners. They're <laughs> like forever. Greg, you need to die before me so you can, sorry, I need to die before you. Whoa. Sorry, sorry, wait, wait. <laughs> I need to die before you so you can do my eulogy. Like I want Greg Mackling to MC my funeral one day. Poutine bar, champagne, Sign me up. Greg Mackling. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do it, but I'll do it if I have to. It's going to be that? lit. That is so morbid. What? You, know you, what? Want, you want to die before? Greg, like, I've told my parents, I've texted them many a time. I say, if I hope I don't die before you because that'd be traumatizing. But if I do, here's what I want. I want a poutine and a nacho bar. I want the booze <laughs> flowing and I want it to be a party. Nobody we, else thinks about this? At my mom's funeral, we had hot wings, <laughs> Pepsi. We oh, had uh, red wine. All my mom's favorite stuff. That's yeah. wonderful. Yeah, you betcha. beautiful. What kind of music would you want playing, Gabby? Ooh, I'd want a really good playlist. Definitely some like slow Bruce Springsteen, maybe some Leonard Cohen, but then it would work up basically into country music, then maybe some EDM, like a rave. Eventually we'd get to the rave. (laughs) People are just doing shots, partying. (laughs) Ah, Well, hey, that's a positive spin on what's otherwise a really horrible subject. (laughs) But Gabby, classic Gabby. So um, one of the things we want to talk to you about is as we recap our fun topics of the week, favorite uncommon sports or maybe like yard games that you like to play because we were talking about the surging popularity of pickleball. So got a yard game you like? Yeah, you know what? Growing up in Saskatchewan, I haven't done it in a long time, probably because it's quite dangerous, but we used to play a beer darts game. So basically the premise is that you sit on opposite sides of somebody and you're sitting on lawn chairs and then you throw darts, like little darts, not big lawn darts, but darts for a dartboard at them. And then if they flinch, they have to take a drink. And then if you hit their, there's cans lined up. And if you hit their can, then they have to chug the whole thing. Um, and then if you get hit by, I don't remember what happens if you actually get hit by a dart. So like you throw darts at each other. Yeah. Like if you were sitting, like you're sitting across the table from your, so. Well, you're kind of, no, sorry, you're aiming them at the ground where their feet are. So you're aiming them at, there's, cause there's cans lined up, okay. but you're kind of throwing darts at their feet. 
this was a common. I mean, I am from Saskatchewan, right? People call it the lesser province for a reason, oh, perhaps. Come on. Are you all wearing ste- steel toed shoes? No, summer, baby. Flip flops all the way. This Live dangerously. Sound, this <laughs> sounds. I'm not even going to use the word. Not advisable is how I would describe it. Yeah, I am not promoting this activity. You're, you're way I'm more condoning. polite. I'm not condoning it. Sorry. I'm. Mm. <laughs> Did you ever get a dart in the oh, foot? Many a time. It doesn't feel good. Ever going in the face? No, 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 uh, no, no. That's the point: is that you aim at the feet. Well, some, hey, be kind. Sometimes people have are errant with their throws. I know. I've seen those people. They don't belong <laughs> in bars near dartboards. That's for sure. Keep them away. Okay. <laughs> uh, what about a place you uh, made a friend unexpectedly? I actually have a really nice story for this one. I have this dear, dear friend, Karen. She and her husband live in Oak Bank. Um, her husband's a retired firefighter. She's still working. She's the most wonderful person. And I used to work somewhere else at a different station that shan't be named. But when I worked there, she was a, a longtime viewer. And she followed me on Instagram and I followed her back. And I ran into her in the streets in the village, just randomly. And she said, oh, hey, Gabby. And I turned around and I recognized her from following her on Instagram. So we struck up a conversation and she's just so funny and lovely and sweet. And I was like, here's my number, Karen. Let's hang out. Then we ended up hanging out and we now hang out all the time. I go out to play bingo with her and her husband. Usually on Saturdays we have dinner. We probably visit once a week. Wow. And yeah, she and her husband are two of my closest friends. And it was just a random ran into each other in the Osborne village made a connection and we've been friends ever since. First of all, I want to commend you on slipping in and using the word shant <laughs> in, in the appropriate context. Very, very well Thank done. You. And um, that ties me into sort of this technology conversation because clearly Karen makes your life better and easier. But technology has a habit of superseding its promise in a bad way. It's supposed to make our life better, but often it makes it worse. What do you mean? What did you guys have to say about this? Tell me about this. Frustrating technologies that just, uh, you know, they backfire on you. Like for me, it's the fact that all these companies have invested in this technology that allows me to supposedly chat with one of their customer service agents. There's no person on the other end of that line. If you've been fooled into that notion, it's all a scam. They are robots on the other end, right? And They're not so, even cute robots. I have no idea about their attractive level, <laughs> but listen, the bottom line is you would think based on them being able to filter out all the sort of lousy conversations and the easy answers, you'd be able to get a human on the phone that much quicker. Nope, it's longer than ever to speak to a human. That's my frustration and I shouldn't be yelling at you because you didn't invent the system. You don't know that. What about you, Brett? What did you have to say? What frustrated you? Um, oh, I could think of, well, one of the things that, that frustrates me and I don't even have it is uh, touch screens in automobiles. I don't like the idea of this infotainment systems that they have in all the new cars. I don't, because when to, to me, that's like, you know, we, we, I can't pick up my phone and look at it while I'm driving, but it's okay to have a touch screen with a computer in it while I'm driving. Yeah, like it should, uh, to me, it should all be tactile. It should be knobs and buttons and that's it. And I probably sound like, you know, old man yells at cloud when I say that, but I, it just, to me, it just seems like a disaster waiting to happen. But I have no, I'll have, when I get a new car, I'll have no choice. I'm trying so hard to think about how do you shant again, but my brain is so slow that it's just not working. But I appreciate that. You know, distracted driving, that sounds, that's what it sounds like. I'm, yeah. I'm not for it either. Yeah. So you can weigh in, by the way, if you want, on frustrating tech, 204-780-6868. 
Gabrielle Marchand, thank you as always. Happy Friday. Gabrielle Marchand is the host and anchor of Global News Morning, weekdays on Global Winnipeg, 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. We have bomber tickets to give away for tomorrow's game against Edmonton at IG Field. And we're asking you about a time that you unexpectedly made a friend. And we have somebody here, Gail, who is thankful for a few things. That's right. Uh, Gail is a faithful listener. as She is an emailer. Love hearing her views. Uh, so I hope that you and yours and all your CJOB staff have a Thanksgiving day, a wonderful, happy Thanksgiving day. As my grandpappy used to say, one of the only days of the year where you... Try to eat four supper meals in one sitting. If you think about it, some people have both ham and turkey, meatballs, mashed potatoes, yams, veggies, salads, and some variety of bread, buns, and of course, some kind of dessert, which may include pumpkin pie. Thanks, Gail, and happy Thanksgiving to you and, of course, to all of our listeners, whether they're listening today or tomorrow or throughout the weekend. Amanda says it was the spring of 2005. Picture it. Sicily, spring 2005. We need some music there for you. And that wasn't Sicily. That's just, uh, was that Golden Girls? And I was uh, 18 years old, says Amanda. And my daily ritual consisted of coming home from school, dropping my school bag to sit down at the computer desk and sign into MSN Messenger. <laughs> Set my status to something creative while also checking my MySpace messages. My word. Remember MySpace? The precursor to all the, the social media nonsense we now partake in. Anyway, Amanda says, It was then that I noticed this message from this cute, dark-haired guitar player and decided to reply. That day marked the start of a great relationship, talking online for weeks. Remember the early 2000s? It was kind of unheard of to meet people online. Well, over 17 years later, we are still great friends, so much so we've been married over 12 years with two great kids. Wonderful story, Amanda. Who ever knew that anything good came out of MySpace? (laughs) <laughs> an MSN Messenger. And I, I also asked Amanda, hey, before MSN Messenger, did you do you remember ICQ? The chat program ICQ? Do you do you remember that? I do not. Yeah, it was uh, I guess it was a play on words. The le- it was the letters ICQ, but it was a play on words I seek you. So I think at least that's what it was. But yeah, I, I, I liked ICQ better than MSN, but then Microsoft took over. They did, did what they always do. They copy something good and then mm, they yep. take over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Gene is our winner. I was processing social insurance numbers at Service Canada for a young couple that arrived from Brazil in December of 2019. It was cold and snowing and her birthday was a few days away. I felt sad that her family wasn't going to be able to spend her birthday with her. I told her and her husband a few things about Winnipeg, suggested a couple of places they could go to celebrate her birthday. She was here to go to school and her husband was on a work permit. Before they left, I felt the pull to give them my personal cell phone number and said if there was anything they needed to call me. My husband and I would be happy to help them out. Once they had an apartment, we decluttered our kitchen to help fill theirs up took them shopping, and helped them get settled. We took them to their first Jets game and to the Brazilian Pavilion at Folklorama. Due to COVID, there was no formal graduation ceremony, but we have some great family pictures with her in her cap and gown out in front of the apartment block. We aren't just friends. We are their Canadian family. Wow. Wow. Awesome. Gene, that's wonderful.
Look, I'll keep this introduction simple. Something came across our desk this week called Straggle, Adventures in Walking While Female. It's a book, and I want to learn more. Tannis McDonald is the author, and Tannis joins us now. Good morning. Hi, how are you today? We're wonderful today, Tannis. Thank you for making time. Happy Thanksgiving ahead of time to you and yours. Um, we are firmly entrenched in the belief, uh, on this show at least, that there's no such thing as a former Winnipegger. Your brief bio <laughs> describes you as a former Winnipegger, but we like to say a Winnipeg, uh, a Winnipegger now living in. Your phone number yeah. is an Ontario area code. Where are you living now? I am currently situated in Waterloo, Ontario, where I teach at Wilfrid Laurier University. And I will tell you that I don't really believe in being a former Winnipegger either. Uh, the poet Ariel Gordon calls me the once and future Winnipegger, and I think that's probably the best description. Wow, wow. we're putting that in our uh, in our book of uh, of sayings and phrases. Thank you for that. That's uh, <laughs> okay. That's wonderful, Tannis. So, what 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 was it that made you uh, want to write this book, or maybe need to write it? Well. I mean, I'm interested in walking as a kind of everyday phenomenon, and there are a lot of books out there that talk about walking as an athletic pursuit or even as something that we do for our mental health. And both those things are true, but I thought, what about everything else? What about people who uh, walk just as a matter of course? They walk with bodies that are not necessarily athletic. They walk despite the kinds of limitations of their bodies. They walk with a limp. Uh, sometimes they are in wheelchairs. Sometimes uh, they are perfectly able-bodied, but they uh, are uh, politicized the moment they appear in public. Right. So for a woman to walk down the street is a very different proposition for, than for a man to walk down the street. And I wanted to examine some of those things. And that's why the uh, subtitle is Adventures in Walking While Female. Well, and that one of the reasons I was drawn to this topic and wanted to talk to you is I go for walks every day and I try to. And my you know, neighborhood is a busy foot traffic area. I'm a fairly big guy. I walk fast. I look grumpy, thanks to what uh, what has been called resting breath face, which means inevitably I will end up coming up behind a woman as I get ready to pass her. So I have two questions for you. First question, as a woman, what's it like having a man coming up behind you like that? You know, a big, scary, you know, grumpy looking guy. I will tell you honestly, sometimes it's kind of creepy. Right. And so I think um, and even unintentionally creepy. Right. You with your resting bread face. I totally understand. Uh, and also we're distracted. We're thinking about other things and maybe not uh, paying attention to uh, what's around us. The other thing that happens when we walk, we think that we're in a private space. We may be in a private bubble of our thought, but of course, we're in public space indeed. So what I like when uh, someone is coming up behind me on the trail, if they make as much noise as possible, right? So it's not a surprise when I see them. It's not a surprise to turn around and all of a sudden someone's like two feet behind you. So um, that would be my advice to you. Make sure you scuff your feet on the gravel or clear your throat or something so it looks like you're not sneaking up on someone. Yeah, then I, I, I actually I do try to do that, so I'm, I'm, I feel validated right now because I, I often wondered if, if, I, if I was being weird by doing that. But another question, um, what about is, is it maybe a good idea to, when possible, like when there, there isn't 10 feet of snow piled up on the, the boulevard, but is it a good idea maybe to take a wide berth when I'm in the, the so-called passing lane? 
Yeah, that too. And, and something else that men can think of too. And a lot of this has to do with like awareness of one's surroundings. And you can be pretty assured that uh, most women who are out walking in public have a good awareness of their space. We're taught to have that kind of awareness of space. Uh, something else that you can do if the traffic allows it, etc., is to cross the street is to just give the person uh, um, their space in terms of that wide berth, right? And that also is a kind of signal that I see you, I mean you, no harm, and I'm just going to walk on the other side of the street so we can all feel safe. Tanis, are you talking about respecting one another and one another's uh, right to be in a certain place and, and to respect the feelings that others may be having at a certain time? This, this sounds very uncommon. <laughs> uncommon and that's why one of the reasons why I wrote the book and this is really for everyone there's a a point in the book where I talk about walking by the creek close to my house and again I'm lost in my own thoughts and I come around uh, a kind of corner in the bush and there's a woman uh, sitting by the creek the moment she heard my footsteps she jumped up and ran So, I mean, it's not even about being a big guy with a mean look on your face. It could be anyone who scares anyone who thinks they're in a private space when they're actually in public. So I had this impulse to yell after her, hey, it's okay, it's only me. But that wouldn't have made sense to anybody except for me because I didn't perceive myself to be a threat, but she did. You you describe walking as a vehicle for presence. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, I mean, think sometimes um, about being in your neighborhood, and sometimes I, I think that's kind of life in the suburbs where you know a few neighbors, but not everybody. And so the moment you walk down a street or into any sort of area, um, you declare a kind of politics of presence, that I'm here, I'm claiming this space as I walk through it, and I'm present in a way that I'm not present uh, when I'm in my house where no one can see me. So the idea of being of passing through spaces and being visible as you pass through a space is uh, is a kind of declaration of presence. Tanis, it always disappoints me. I think it makes me sad, not because of how cold it gets, but when when winter you know sets upon uh, Winnipeg, our walking days are, are typically limited for several months, and then when the spring comes and and through the summer and the fall. We love our walks, and I like that whole idea of, of how it declares you present within your neighborhood. I've, I, I've met more neighbors on walks over the years than, than undertaking any other activity. But this whole idea of saying hello and good morning or good afternoon to one another on a walk, is this just like a, a prairie thing, a Manitoba thing? Because I was speaking to somebody from Alberta just a few weekends ago who marvels when he comes to Winnipeg, he, that's the highlight of his walk, is how everyone says hello and good morning to one another. You know, I might not be the right person to ask about this, because my, my father and mother always were big walkers, and they always looked people in the eye and said good morning and hello to them. And so I was raised to do so, and uh, I do it all the time when I meet people on the trail here. And some people respond well to it, and some people... Um, you know, are a little more standoffish. And again, that's about thinking about uh, being in your private bubble when you're, when you're outside. Um, and I think sometimes during, during the pandemic, when we were told to get out and walk, but we were also told this opposite message that, you know, our, the very air we breathe might be infectious, that 
people were not so down sometimes with being looked in the eye because they felt like they were out they were out in their portable living room walking around and what were you doing looking at them and you know seeing them in their portable living room so it's a real negotiation of the the public and the private and um, making eye contact can be good and it can be scary for other people our guest is Tannis McDonald, author of Straggle, Adventures in Walking While Female. And something's happening with you on Monday at Churchill Drive Park. What's going down? Well, what I'm doing is I'm doing what we call a site-specific reading. I'm going to be reading from the book and leading a walk along uh, through the park, along the river, and then around the BDI to the Elm, uh, the Elm Bridge. So, And I'll be reading pieces of Straggle little snippets, like two-minute snippets as we go. And before Monday on Sunday, you're hosting a workshop. Tell us a little bit about that, if you would. Yeah, it's going to be at 2 o'clock at the McNally Robinson um, Community Room in the Grant Park store. And I'm going to be talking, the name of the workshop is The Truth About Bodies in Motion. So again, returning to the idea of how do we move through space in the bodies that we have. Not the bodies that we had when we were 20. Oh, did we just lose Tannis? I believe we did. That sounded like a very definitive sound. Jeff Forche, can you confirm or deny? Yeah, or? The, the, the line is still there. Like, it's not like yesterday when we lost Brian Butt, the line just went dead and I watched him just disappear from the screen. But I see Tannis is still, the, the line is still active. All right, let's see if we can get her back here. Do, do, oh, do, do. Thumbs oh. up from Jeff Forche. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. Tannis, are you there? I am. Are you there? Yes. There we go. There. We, yeah. You just see mid sentence. You just poof. You vanished. Oh, okay. So let me uh, go back on what I was saying. I was talking about the workshop is called "The Truth About Bodies in Motion." It's going to be held at the Grant Park McNally Robinson at two o'clock, and I'm going to lead a workshop in how to write the bodies that we have now, as opposed to our kind of ideal idea of what our bodies are. Okay, so so yeah, my, I guess my ideal version would be uh, looking like Chris Hemsworth's Thor uh, in the latest movie, but that's not quite realistic, especially with my uh, diet and sleeping habits. So, Tannis, hey, thank you so much for this. Uh, it's a fascinating topic, and and I appreciate the insight and the suggestions as well because I I try, you know, I I don't want to. I, I, I might look scary, but I don't want to scare people while I'm out for a walk. So yeah, I really no, appreciate that's, it. That's appreciated. That's good. Candace McDonald joining us live on 680 CJOB. The name of the book, Straggle, Adventures in Walking While Female. And it's part of the Winnipeg International Writers Festival. Mackling and McGarry, one final thought on walking. I meant to tell you this earlier uh, this week, Greg. I was so I was angry. Brett wanted to smash. You talk about situ- situational awareness when you're out for a walk. I'm walking down the street, down the sidewalk, and this young couple is approaching. This attractive young couple. Guy's got his arm around his girl, and I think, oh, how cute. But as they're approaching, like, I'm on the right side of the sidewalk. They didn't get over a little mm-hmm. bit. Right. And so the guy was uh, was closer to me, and I thought... I could get off the sidewalk, but I'm not going to. And I just hugged to the right side, and we actually bumped into each other. 
And I wanted to say to him, like, what are you doing? Like, can you not take one step over? Anyway. You're breaching protocol by going too wide. He's a pig walker. So it's, a, it's up to you to make the adjustment to shift over. You want to maintain that connection with your, with your squeeze? That's allowable. You can do that. But it's up to you then to make the adjustment and to account for the individuals coming towards you. Yes? I, I concur. Loren, what say you? Yeah, move on over. Get out of the way. You're being rude. You should do what they do. I remember biking in Vancouver a few years ago, and if you're on the sidewalk and you're on the right side biking, if they're coming up behind you, they yell on the left. And so they know you're going. someone's coming behind you but also going around. And now I like just to yell that whenever I'm out for a walk. On the left! <laughs> and even if they see me coming, they're like, I know. You're like, well, get over then. You know? <laughs> Get out of my way. The, the walking equivalent of the zipper merge. Yeah, McNabb shouting, coming left. I don't really shout that, but I kind of enjoyed it when I was in Vancouver because I thought that's smart. It lets you know someone's coming behind you. Kind of to your point, Brett, in your last conversation about what it's like to to walk female or walk as a woman and you want to let that woman know you're coming, but you're not there to do any harm and you like clear your throat or you shuffle your feet harder so they hear you. You should just, we should just have some sort of courtesy shout that we give the same way you do. Greg and I have done this to each other because we both worked in restaurants corner when you're coming around the corner to let the person know who might be coming around the corner the other way that you're there. Because if you were carrying a tray of food or dishes or glasses or danger, 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 you don't want to spill that. There's a corner. There's behind you. Uh, hot plates. Uh, there, there's a bunch of declarations that you can make to make sure that you aren't interfering with the uh, safety of others and, and your own uh, safety. Uh, by the way, really quick, uh, I got a text back from uh, Legos by Scott about oh, yeah. the Winnipeg Arena <laughs> okay. Lego diorama. No troughs right now. But he's working to rectify that. Oh, get out of here. How would you even do that in Lego? I don't think there's the right color of yellow in Lego for that disgustingness. The troughs were silver, Loren. I don't care. What was in it was just, ugh. I don't even know. I don't know why I'm pretending like I've seen it, but I've imagined it. You can it. imagine it. Sadly, You worked in a barn. It. You know what it looked like. Yeah, exactly. I've thought about it. And I really don't want to think about it anymore. Anyway. On connecting Winnipeg, two hours on the trough and walking habits and how to zipper merge. That's it. That's what I'm teeing up.